0: Join us, go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is and save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So I was having a conversation with a friend the other day about what would be the greatest record of all time. And you know, we're talking and you have these obvious choices like Led Zeppelin 2 or Liquid Swords. Where would we be without Billie Holiday? And then some not-so-obvious choices like Wilco's Yankee Foxtrot Hotel and one of my favorite records of all time, Tricky's "Maxinquaye." Or when Squarepusher showed us how soulful electronic music could be with Music Is Rotted One Note but really there's there's just one album that i always come back to and this is an album by an artist whose catalog i generally dismiss this is an album by an artist who in 1968 brought together folk and rock and jazz and gospel in the most celestial way to create an album that as a whole is perfect and down your streets are Van Morrison's "Astro Weeks." And you might say this is just not your style. There's no keyboards. You can't dance to it. It just doesn't sound modern enough. But this this record has inspired countless artists and musicians for generations. Doing yourself a disservice to not at least sit down with it once in your lifetime, just to experience what many others consider to be a spiritual awakening. We And so you may be wondering, why are we even talking about this? Why are we talking about music? And that's because this series we're about to get into is all about sales, the art of sale, the art of persuasion, and how to get people to see things the way that you do, to try something new, your product, your service. To take a chance and give you 15 minutes of their time. That's what we're going to dive into for the next couple weeks here. Without further ado, welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka.
1: And I'm Joelle Goldman.
0: So what is, is sales? Sales is such a, a dirty word. I think, Joel, we've all avoided it at some point in our career.
1: Yeah, it does have a negative connotation at times, but it's one of those things that is never going away. You know, we all rely on it to run our businesses and to get the, the goods and services that we use.
0: And- in- we're really doing it all the time and I, I think even when we don't realize that we're selling um, if we have a product and you know if we're the founder if we're the customer service if we're in sales if we're in marketing we're really selling We and, and we're selling all the time and if, if we demystify sales a little bit which is what we're hoping to do I hope we can really open up uh, your eyes to see that sales is really the most amazing thing so Joel, let's, let's start off with what problem does sales solve? So why do people buy a product?
1: In the classic sense, sales is essentially selling what you have in stock. Uh, you have something to offer that solves a problem, and someone with that problem will pay you for that, that service or product.
0: Yeah, I mean, it starts off with like bartering, right? I mean, at the simplest level, I have a chicken, you have a, a bale of hay, and we trade. Right, we both have a need, and now today we just use money to help solve that need, and sales is kind of the lubricant that that makes that happen. So let's talk about what makes a great salesperson. Now, Joel, you talked with Justin Rothmarsh, who wrote a great book on sales. Um, what did he have to say about the qualities of a great salesperson?
1: So Justin broke down the qualities of a great salesperson into three distinct things.
2: There are three requirements. The first is that you need good product knowledge, um, uh, exceptional product knowledge, and probably industry knowledge and product knowledge together.
1: Secondly, you need to be a great communicator, which seems obvious, but it kind of goes beyond that.
2: You need more than natural talent as a communicator because I think that salespeople operate in an environment that's that's a little harsher than the traditional environment. So it's not enough to be a good communicator. You actually have to have some skills. And I think we, I see a lot of salespeople who are, who are naturally good communicators, but they're lacking in skills. So for example, is someone who's technically skilled understands what their objective is and stays true to that objective, typically uh, one of our client salespeople would be calling to get permission to, uh, to, to run a 12 minute presentation. So if you're calling and that's your objective, you, you want to stick to that. You don't want to be drawn into a general discussion. You simply want to outline the, the, the proposition and ask for permission for 12 minutes. And if somebody has a million questions, you want to keep bringing them back to, well, can I have a commitment to t- 12 minutes? Do you have 12 minutes now or should we schedule a time uh, in a couple of days' time? And this is where someone who's a natural communicator will get drawn into a discussion because they don't have the that the learned skill that will enable them to, um, I- I- you know, um, direct that situation.
1: And thirdly, you need to have a really strong sense of self.
2: It's a little bit like new product development, and it's a probabilistic game. Most of the cases that you work on or initiatives that you work on will end in failure. So you, you've got to be good with that.
0: So coming up, we're going to go over the basic types of sales and how to find the right method for you. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So there are two basic categories for sales. There's inside sales, which is based on inbound interest and you're reaching out to people who already showed interest in your product. And then there's outside sales, which is going outside of your organization and often cold reaching out to people either in person or on the phone or via email. So how do you know what the right method is for you? We asked Justin Roth Marsh this question.
2: I think the default should be inside sales. Um, Now, there are certain situations where you either have to sell in the field, and if that's the case, you don't have a choice. Like, for example, if you want to sell to the military, you know it's highly unlikely that generals are going to want to have initial discussions with you on the telephone. Um, um, a- and there are other situations where you, it makes sense to sell face-to-face. So... so any environment where a customer uses their assessment of an individual as a proxy for an assessment of the product or service. What
0: that basically means is situations where the customer's judgment of you and your demeanor and your appearance will directly affect their purchase decision.
2: So let's say you're not a lawyer and you want to select legal counsel for an important court case, someone suing you, let's say, Um, you will feel compelled to meet your potential counsel face-to-face. And one of the reasons why you'll feel compelled to do that is because you're not a lawyer and you don't know how to select a lawyer on the basis of their legal skills. The best you can do is meet someone and make an assessment based upon what you think of them as a person. Now, of course, that's not perhaps the best way of making a decision, but in that environment, we all do that. And I think if you're on the sales side, it makes sense to take advantage of that. So if it's a really complex purchasing decision where somebody isn't in a position where they're going to make or can make a purely rational um, um, decision, then being face-to-face makes sense. But in every other case, it generally doesn't unless you have to. So if somebody's making a repeat purchase, they already have experience with the organization, it makes no sense to go and sell face-to-face. Or if somebody's purchasing a product that they fully understand, it's a commodity, uh, uh, for example, as the rise of Amazon and and online uh, 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 stockbroking and so on has proven if people have a choice between efficiency in a relationship, guess which they choose.
1: So, Michael, what are some of the different ways a company can kind of set up their sales model?
0: Yeah, I think this is this is interesting because it, it really depends on the type of software that you're selling or the type of product that you're selling. If we look at a company like Intercom, where they have a lot of high-quality content, and you sign up, you, you subscribe to their blog, and the, the idea in the sale is really to be top of mind. And so for them, they want you to be on the email list, they want you to see them every week, they want you to read their content, and when you're ready for them you'll let them know and you'll sign up for the product now, if we look at a, a company like Close.io, which is obviously it's a sales platform, um, but it's also heavily focused on you know their their actual uh, internally they're they're a very sales driven culture, and so when you sign up for Close and you start an account, you actually get a phone call and an email within four minutes from a sales representative, and that representative wants to know what your problem is, why you're using Close, if you have any any issues that you're trying to solve and can close be a good fit for you um, and it, it really brings you into the product quickly, and, and the idea is to close that sale as fast as possible.
1: What if you don't have a lot of inbound traffic coming your way? How would you approach sales then? Well,
0: I mean, if we if we look at someone, you know, the advice of someone like like Justin Roth, getting that inbound is key. Uh, but if you're just starting out, you can always do outside sales, which is cold calling or cold emailing targets. And so we talked to Melanie Gordon of Tap Hunter about how they do it.
1: So you mentioned that face-to-face sales, outside sales is one of the most expensive ways you can acquire a customer. Yes. A lot of SaaS companies and tech companies are obviously relying on inside sales. When would it make sense to have an outside salesperson?
3: You know, it really depends. You've seen a lot of models late. I mean, even in the past 10 years with companies like Groupon and Living Social, and a lot of those companies had hybrid models and some of them still do. So they'll have a hybrid where the account executive is just calling into a certain market or city and setting up a bunch of appointments and then they'll spend a few days getting there, right? Um, and it also really depends on what your lifetime value and what your, you know, your annual contract value is if you're even able to cash flow this sort of structure. And so there is no perfect answer, but it also relies heavily on, you know, what what your contract value is um, for for the customer. And a lot of SaaS companies, you know, are, aren't able to do that. And then if you do have more of an enterprise type sale, then, you know, probably scales outside sales can scale a lot better.
1: You know which method is right for you.
0: Well, there, you know, there is no right method, and I think that's the key: is that it's the method that identifies with you the best. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. um, How to find the right method for you, but over the lifetime of a company, companies use all of these methods um, there's a point where you have to do outside sales if you want to grow into more enterprise level contracts and there's a point where you have to have inbound leads coming in and so you have to to be working with your marketing team to be generating that One thing that's always consistent, no matter what your sales strategy is, is the pipeline. The pipeline is your sales lifeline. It's all of the deals and their stage. And these could be an email list. It could be phone numbers. But it shows what potential sales you have coming up and eventually how likely you are to land them. No one does it better than than Tap Hunter And Joel, I think you interviewed Mel a bit about this.
1: I did. I asked Mel to tell me the difference between a contact, a prospect, and a lead. And here's what she had to say.
3: <laughs> it depends on what CRM system a lot of time you use. <laughs> um, a contact is someone with inside of an organization. You could have multiple contacts inside of an organization. And a prospect and a lead, you know, a lead is often just a name or a name on a call list and it's just a lead. And a prospect's oftentimes people will define as someone who's a little bit more qualified, right? You know you know that you have something you can sell them or they fall within a certain customer segment of yours. So, I think one of the biggest things I see people get tripped up on is spending too much time on the just the names themselves rather than just keeping it simple. I think the biggest mistake you can make is having too many names and stages of all this stuff, right? Just simplify it. So I've seen lead and prospect interchange quite often. And Mm -hmm. a prospect could be a prospect, but you have several different stages within your sales cycle, right? So lead and prospect could be interchanged, but a prospect or a lead, whatever you want to call it, could be at the uh, presented price, the decision-making stage, the negotiation stage, the trialing stage, you know, things like that.
0: So you know, we watch these, these movies, The Wolf of Wall Street and Boiler Room, and we see kind of this A-type personality. But, you know, Joel, we've interviewed over 200 founders over the last two years, and not all of them embody that A-type sales personality, and yet they are fantastic at
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, where there's this negative connotation of what a salesman is. But in reality, the best salespeople are the ones that are natural and genuine and authentic. And they're actually helping you solve your problem with their product or service. And they're doing their job by showing you how they can help.
0: I think one of the mistakes that we often make is trying to be everything to everyone instead of finding who is attracted to our honey, so to speak, because we, we obviously as one person, we, we can't be the best sales representative to every single person, um, but we can be an amazing salesperson for the people that are attracted to us and our product.
1: Absolutely. And and something else to keep in mind that we've learned from a lot of the founders we've spoken to is that a lot of sales don't happen on the spot. This is long-term relationship building. And we've learned from a lot of founders that building relationships is a form of sales. We we spoke with Perry Gorman of Archively and she shared her philosophy about how she builds relationships as a practice. She doesn't just reach out to people when she needs something or she's trying to sell something. And I think we can all take a lesson away from that.
3: And, and, and really, actually, what it is, is that I don't wait until I need something to create relationships with people. I do it as a practice. And actually, like that is that is what like Archively was born out of, um, was the idea that you you keep track of people and you, you continuously do due diligence so that you're in the know on people. And that way, when you come to a point of needing something, you're like you're there.
0: It makes s- sales and thinking about sales more achievable because it's not uh, necessarily a boiler room style, um, but it's a very natural style. It's how we, we interact with everyone that we come in contact with as we make friends, as we, we build relationships. And I think if we start to demystify the sales the, what the sales process really is, and, and frame it around problem solving, it becomes a lot more accessible, um, especially to founders who may also be interested in product and design and marketing, you know, and don't want to be focused on a lead list all day.
1: And I think perhaps our all-time best advice that we've gotten uh, in terms of sales on this show is from... Stelly FD from Close.io about following up until you die and never assuming that because you haven't heard back from someone that it's a no. It's never a no until it's a no. And here's here's what he said in his own words.
4: Yeah, so I have a super simple philosophy to follow up. To me, it's binary. Uh, I will follow, up if we had a, a positive interaction, doesn't matter if it's in person, on the phone, or via email, if, if we had some kind of a connection, I will, and you showed some level of interest, I will follow up indefinitely, which means forever until I get a response. And I honestly, I don't care what the response is, yes or no, are both equally good to me, right? Uh, And I think that sales or or entrepreneurship is all about driving results. If you get, if you're able to drive a ton of failure really quickly, that's great. If you're able to drive a ton of success, that's awesome. Obviously, that's all—that's what we all want. But the thing where startups die and, and, and people are crushed is in the middle, is in the maybe zone. It's the, they kind of like what we do. I haven't heard back from them. I'll try again in a few weeks. That middle zone where nothing is happening, but hope is still alive. That's where startups die and, and sales deals die. So I have a simple philosophy. I'll follow up forever until I hear back from you.
0: So if you're excited about the rest of the series as us, please do me a favor right now. If you've listened this far, please tweet about this episode. Please tell everyone you know how good this content is, if you think it's that good. Yeah. I might be biased. So our whole goal with this series is to give you a new perspective on selling. And so go ahead, subscribe. We've got four more episodes coming up. The next one is all on lead gen. So you definitely don't want to miss that. We've got episodes coming out every Wednesday with long form interviews every Sunday. So keep on the lookout. The long form interviews are excellent too. Lots of really good content, some of which we just couldn't fit in these episodes, but they're so worth the listen. Huge thanks to our sponsor, Pipe Drive. Go to pipedrive.com forward slash rocketship, and you'll get two months absolutely free. I know there's a lot of you out there who have never reviewed the show. If you've been a long time listener, even a new listener, just leave us a quick review in iTunes. It helps out so much. And if you haven't yet, follow us on Twitter at RocketshipFM. You could follow me at Michael Saka and Joelle at Joelle Goldman. We'll see you here in just a couple days.
3: Hey, I want to know on that watch it. please subscribe. Bye-bye.